I'm talking about blockchain technologies such as Bitcoin, Ethereum, those kind of terms you might have heard of, Dogecoin. Those technologies will also be disrupting every industry that we have in this world. There is no single operator. Everything is managed on a peer-to-peer -peer basis by all the people that are maintaining the network, which all verify every time someone is meeting a particular transaction to be added. And only if everyone agrees that it's valid, it's going to be added into the blockchain. This is the Language of Business, a podcast to inform and inspire entrepreneurs, anyone thinking about a startup or anyone looking for a post-pandemic pivot. I'm executive producer Don Kelly. Our host is Greg Stoller, Harvard MBA and senior lecturer at Boston University Questrom School of Business. In this episode, we look at blockchain. What exactly is it? How does it work? How does it differ from NFTs or ledger technologies? How will it disrupt businesses? What are the legal and illegal aspects? And what does illegal mean? Here's Greg Stoller. Thank you, Don. It's one thing to disrupt an industry, but how do you do so with technology that nobody really understands? We're on location with Ray Dolgum, who's a senior consultant at Consensus Health, and welcome to the Language of Business. Greg, thank you so much for having me on today. Ray, you are trying, along with Consensus Health, where you're a senior consultant, to disrupt the healthcare industry. What does that mean to the average person on the street? At Consensus Health, we are focusing on looking at how decentralized ledger technologies will impact the healthcare industry. And when I say that, I'm talking about blockchain technologies such as Bitcoin, Ethereum, those kind of terms you might have heard of, Dogecoin. Those technologies will also be disrupting every industry that we have in this world. Healthcare is where our focus is, and we're looking at cybersecurity, bioethics, the ability for allowing a patient to control their identity online. That's kind of what we're focused on. And what exactly are you trying to disrupt? So right now we're primarily working with pharmaceutical companies as well as other health technology companies in order to build an ecosystem in healthcare where different parties can actually begin to start sharing, not necessarily their data, but sharing some insights that can come out of their data. We're looking a lot into artificial intelligence and federated learning. So that's primarily where we're focused on right now. Disruption is one thing, making money is another. The two aren't necessarily mutually exclusive. How is Consensus Health making money? That's a good question. Unfortunately, I am not able to answer that. I've been here only a few months and my primary objective right now is working with a client. I'm a consultant. We make money that way, but I think the vision for Consensus Health is much bigger. Won't be able to answer that fully here. People throw in the terms blockchain, fintech, ledgers, Bitcoin, NFTs, non-fungible tokens, all in the same sentence. Are they talking about the same things? Help us to understand what they are and what they aren't, please. Yeah, that's a really good question. The blockchain industry as a whole is quite large. When you talk about Bitcoin and Ethereum, that's very specific to cryptocurrencies. Ethereum is more a smart contract platform and protocol. NFTs are non-fungible tokens. What that means is you can actually own a piece of digital asset online and have verifiable proof that you are the owner of that. It's very disruptive in many ways. You can think of even the real estate industry being disrupted in this way. So you can own an NFT of your home, for example, and own only one person can prove that. It depends on the context of the conversation, I would say. You mentioned in your first answer that you deal a lot with Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. 
with respect to your clients, how does that factor into your day-to-day -day work? I don't actually deal a lot with Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. It's just part of the new ecosystem that's developing. If you think of how the internet was present in our daily lives in the 90s, it wasn't that influential. But as we started developing new applications and the ability for people to share content online, emails, photos, information online, as that developed, that became more important and the internet started having its own vocabulary. The same thing is happening now in the blockchain space. In the blockchain space, instead of transferring over content or information, what it is allowing people to do and organizations to do is transfer real value, value that is not just a proxy, such as if you have a bank account and you're sending money over Venmo or your bank, the bank is acting as a proxy for money. It's not actual real value. It's just a proxy of value. So I hope that answers your question a little bit. If I had an NFT of my home, how does that differ from a high definition photograph that I own the copyright to? The home is probably more valuable, but looking at recent purchases, you have some NFTs that are worth millions of dollars. Right now, that's a really good question because there isn't a clear sense of how NFTs in the online world will apply to the real world? What are the legal ramifications of that? Is it protected under law? The answers to these questions are not clear. It's something that the industry is working towards. And there's a lot of action happening in this space all the time. You mentioned that a lot of your work involves health chain, healthunchained.org, your podcast. Tell us about that a little bit, please. Yeah, absolutely. So I started my podcast, Health Unchained, about three years ago. And the purpose of that was really to just draw awareness to blockchain technology in the healthcare space. A lot of the conversations in healthcare or why people think that it's not working is because there's a lot of limitations on how incentives can be created between different parties, government, healthcare insurers, pharmaceutical companies, even the patient themselves don't have the right incentives. The reason I started the podcast was to start these conversations with people actually leading in this industry. So I got CEOs, blockchain experts to come onto the show and talk to us about some of the projects that they're working on. And it's quite incredible because you have people from all over the world. This is really a global phenomenon happening with blockchain. So just anyone to check that out. Ray, thank you very much. Thank you. Appreciate it, Greg. Ray Dilgum, Senior Consultant at Consensus Health and the founder of the podcast, healthunchained.org. Back to you, Don. Thanks, Greg. Next up, some things about blockchain are legal, some are illegal, and some are illegal. We'll find out what that means from a prominent researcher at the National Center for Scientific Research in Paris when the language of business continues. I didn't even realize what it meant to be in a top tier business school until my first day. The curriculum at Questrooms is really helpful because you get to not only study the basics of business, such as accounting or marketing, but you really get to dive further in and to see applications of the health sector and how business applies to sustainability efforts around the world. They really want us to kind of focus it on four emerging areas, and those areas were healthcare, security, sustainability, and technology. Those are really where the jobs are going to be. They really want us to come out from the Questrooms School of Business and be able to work in any area of the industry. Interested? Go to bu.edu slash Questrooms. You're listening to The Language of Business. We've heard about how blockchain works. Now we'll hear about the legal aspects from a prominent researcher at the National Center for Scientific Research in Paris. You have to listen closely, but it's worth it. Back to Greg Stoller. Don, thank you. It's one thing to multitask, but how do you split your time equally amongst Paris, the United States, and a European institute? We're on location virtually with Primavera de Filippi, who is a permanent researcher at CNRS, the National Center for Research Sciences in Paris, and welcome to the Language of Business. 
Thank you. Hi. Primavera, what is the simplest definition of blockchain technology, please? There's no simple definition of blockchain <laughs> technology. I guess the simplest one will be a decentralized database, which comes with specific properties. It is append only, so you can only add information and you cannot delete or edit the information once it has been recorded. And it comes with like a particular protocol that determines how you can actually add this information into the ledger. And so the particularity of this is that as opposed to a traditional database in which you have one operator that is in charge of managing and editing the database, in this case, there is no single operator. It's everything is managed on a peer-to-peer -peer basis by all the contributors by all the people that are maintaining the network, which all verify every time someone is meeting a particular transaction to be added into this database, everyone is verifying whether this transaction is valid. And only if everyone agrees that it's valid, it's going to be added into the blockchain single operator. It's everything is managed on a peer-to-peer -peer basis by all the contributors, by all the people that are maintaining the network, which all verify every time someone is meeting a particular transaction to be added into this database, everyone is verifying whether this transaction is valid. And only if everyone agrees that it's valid, it's going to be added into the blockchain. So why is it so popular? Well, it's mostly popular because of cryptocurrencies and more recently because of NFTs and non-fungible tokens. It, it comes with those very interesting guarantees, meaning that it comes with uncorruptibility. You can use it in order to verify that information is still correct, that it has not been tampered with. You can use it in order to create digital currency that is not managed by one central bank or one online operator and it can be used like the most uh, sophisticated types of blockchain they also enable the execution of software code called the smart contracts in a decentralized manner that does not reside on any server but that is executed in a distributed manner by all the nodes on the network and, and there is this guarantee of executions as opposed to if you have an online operator and that operator can at any point in time change or stop the execution of the code on the platform in this case things cannot change because because you cannot modify the code on the blockchain, you can have this guarantee that it's always going to be executed exactly as planned. Okay. So you are a permanent researcher at the National Center for Scientific Research in Paris. You spend a lot of time focusing on artificial intelligence and the intersection of blockchain. What is your latest research paper focused on? Right now, I'm actually focusing mostly on like the, the question of regulation and legality of blockchain technologies and the notion of allegality, which is not legal and it's not illegal, but it's illegal, meaning it's beyond the reach of the law. And so there's a lot of discussion about whether or not those decentralized systems can be regulated or whether they actually operate autonomously beyond the reach of the law. And so I'm working on actually analyzing, of course, they are not illegal, but they do have some properties of illegality in the sense that they're actually pushing the boundaries of the legal order and looking at what are the various regulatory levers that are available to policymakers and regulators in order to actually bring them back into the reach of the law. So let me make sure I understand this. It's not legal or illegal, but it's illegal which is outside of the boundaries of the law. Is that because the law hasn't caught up there yet? Or what is a better definition of illegal? Yeah, so illegality is like this very big concept in legal philosophy. 
And it's, those are those acts, those activities that uh, exist outside, currently outside of the boundaries of the law. And there is three types of illegal things. There is the ones that simply the law was never meant to cover, like the act of thinking. This is not something that needs to be regulated. Right. There are things that were intended to be covered by the law, but because of the way in which the law was formulated, it was not foreseeable, perhaps something. And so it's currently outside of the scope, but the law can easily catch up through some kind of legal reform. And then there is the third typology, which is the most interesting one, which actually potentially intended to be covered by the law, but it's difficult for the law to reform itself in order to bring them within its own reach without actually modifying its own system. And so in the case of blockchain technology, there is all this question about smart contract and what does it mean to enter into a contractual relationship with a smart contract, with an algorithmical entity? And if the law wanted to cover those transactions and put them into the, into the scope of contract law, it would need to recognize the possibility, for instance, of entering with a contractual party, which is an algorithmical entity as opposed to legal person or a physical person. Right? And so it is possible the law could do that, but that will require a radical change into sure. its internal functioning. And so the claim is that blockchains are this third typology, at least some part, some aspect of blockchain technology, this third type of illegality, which is the challenging one, which is the interesting one as well to, to analyze. You spend your time among CNRS in Paris, the Berkman Klein Center at Harvard, the European University Institute. In the course of your legal research, is there any crossover amongst those three entities or locations? Yeah, I mean, there is a lot. CNRS is a lot about understanding the impact of my center at the CNRS is working on like the evolution of institutions. So how institutions modify themselves over time and what are the different ways in which they evolve. And so I'm looking a lot at how technology is actually bringing change into institution. And so in this case, it's like how blockchain technology is bringing that change. And then the Bergman Center is all about internet and society, but not just internet, also beyond. And so it's mostly understanding the social, economic and political impact impact of blockchain technology on society at large. And uh, the European University Institute is actually mostly like the center I'm attached to is about global governance. And so here I'm kind of looking at, I'm applying my research beyond the institution and looking at how from a global governance level, we can actually leverage this technology in order to facilitate transnational coordination and cooperation, for instance. You work with Creative Commons. Uh, tell us a little bit about that as well, please. I'm basically the legal uh, lead for Creative Commons France. And I've been actually like pushing a lot about trying to explore how blockchain technology can support Creative Commons values and philosophy. It's actually very interesting because today with all these hype NFTs, it's a very interesting application for Creative Commons because uh, Creative Commons is really designed around eliminating digital scarcity, right? NFT, if you look at it at the outset, it's actually all about creating digital scarcity. And so they seem that there, it is an incompatibility, but actually, today, the only way in which Creative Commons artists can monetize their work is by creating restrictions on the copyright, right? It's by creating like restriction about the use of commercial works or the, the creation of derivatives. Because of NFT, now there is a new possibility for digital artists to actually monetize uh, by selling the copy of the work. And so they can actually keep the copyright completely open so that anyone can remix and redistribute the work. But if you want to own the, the authentic and original copy, then you have to buy the NFT. And so in some way, by creating digital scarcity at the level of the copy, then it enables more openness at the level of the copyright. 
we've talked in this interview about what blockchain is, non-fungible tokens, and a lot around the legality. If you had to summarize it, what are the two or three largest trends that you're seeing right now? In blockchain technology, I think definitely like NFT, non-fungible token is like a big, big trend. There is like the DeFi, decentralized finance, which is also quite big. And then there is another one, but that uh, that is is taking longer, I think, but there is a, a lot of interest building up, which is actually like the use of uh, blockchain technology, not to bypass institution, but to reinforce technological guarantees that those institutions can provide. Of all of the legal research that you do today, what is the biggest single item that worries you the most about the future of this technology from a legal lens? Tools that might actually bring that accountability and therefore reduce the regulatory burden that is today imposed on, on many institutions. Primavera, thank you very much. Thank you. Primavera de Filippi, a permanent researcher at the National Center for Scientific Research, or CNRS, in Paris. Back to you, Don. Thanks, Greg. And that's our look at blockchain. Support for the language of business is from Boston University Questrom School of Business. We now have downloads in 77 countries in 42 states, plus D.C. and Puerto Rico. We appreciate the support. If you like our podcast, please mention it to someone and subscribe. The Language of Business is available wherever you get podcasts or ask Alexa. Our social media is by Jennifer Powell of the Excellent Writers Group. Music by Randy Barth of Osway Media. Consulting producer, Helen Tierney of Happy Accident Productions. Direction, audio editing, and voiceover by yours truly. Special thanks to Mike Carruthers of somethingyoushouldknow.net. For Greg Stoller and the entire team, I'm Don Kelly. Thanks for listening to The Language of Business.